The Masterclass podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung, and Bunurong people. We recognize First Nations people as the original owners and custodians of the lands and waterways across the Australian continent. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. You have to learn by doing and you will only get better with practice. The basic and in many ways the hardest question is what is a new story? You need to be finding stories or finding angles on stories that other people haven't explored or prosecuted yet. I didn't ever realise that you found it hard to pick up the phone because you were so good at talking to people. Uh, I checked my call log actually for yesterday. I, I made 15 calls all within the space of two hours. Hello, I'm Angus Thompson. I'm a health reporter with the Sydney Morning Herald. And in this episode, I'm going to give you a masterclass on how to find a news story. Hello and welcome to season three of the Masterclass podcast. I'm Louisa Lim and I teach audio journalism and podcasting at the University of Melbourne. Every episode, I'm speaking to a master of journalism to talk about one aspect of their work. Today, we're hearing from one of our former students, Angus Thompson, who's now a reporter with the Sydney Morning Herald. Angus, we're talking to you about finding a news story. I mean, I guess the basic and in many ways, the hardest question is what is a news story? Well, it's sort of keeping it simple. It's in the name. So a news story is something that is new. So what we're doing when we write a news story is we're telling something to the reader or the listener or whoever's watching a new piece of information that they didn't know about before. So that might be something that you've found out through your own networks or through your own research, or it might be an issue that's been in the media recently and you think you can push forward taking a new angle, or it might just be an issue that hasn't got the coverage that you think it should and that you would like to uh, push forward. Now, you, you've had all kinds of jobs, you know, working at local papers as well as working at the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, how do you go about finding a news story? I think a lot of it comes from knowing what's happening in the news and then knowing what's not being reported on that is happening elsewhere. So in the morning, I'll wake up and you know, I'll check the apps. So I'll check you know, our Sydney Morning Herald app. I'll check our competitors. I'll quickly check my emails to see if anything sort of come through that I think is worth pursuing straight away. I'll listen to the radio when I'm making my breakfast or at the gym or on my commute to work. I'll read the papers when I get into work. So the first part of it is knowing what's happening that morning. And then you'll find nuggets in that news that you've consumed that you think, oh, that might sound interesting. And there's sort of a bit of a curiosity gap between what you know and what you want to find out. So that's one way of finding stories. Another is through documents. So there's pretty regular document drops that come out. So in my role as a health reporter, there's a weekly respiratory report that comes out, for example, that is looking at the amount of uh, flu cases or COVID cases or RSV cases. That won't be a story every week, but every now and then, if you're looking at it enough times, 
you find something interesting in that and not everyone is looking at that. So that's the story that I guess you can follow along, you know how it's changing, you know how it's progressing. There's obviously other reports, there's data drops from government, but it's really about finding things out that other people aren't looking at. I think media organisations, mainstream media organisations these days are very stretched. They aren't necessarily clued in with what is happening, say, in a certain community or in, at a certain university. So really acknowledging that you have that time and you might know something that people don't elsewhere, then you can sort of use that to your own advantage and, and sort of go from there. Um, I mean, say you have an idea and you have an inkling that there might be a story about a particular topic. How do you then go about researching it? How do you kind of manage that dance between the research and the reporting? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a balance, right? Because you want to know that you you, you understand enough about what is happening that you can u- then use to go and speak to people with and that you're not sort of flying blind in that sense. But I also think some of the best advice I received early on in my university degree and then coming to the Herald was that you can't beat just sort of picking up the phone and calling people. I know that it's extremely scary and I think that our generation is not particularly used to picking up the phone. I I have vivid memories of, you know, sitting in my room <laughs> and working myself up to... <laughs> calling someone like it seems so ridiculous now because I take between uh, I check my call log actually for yesterday I I made 15 calls all within the space of two hours chasing this story and that's something that I do now as a matter of course for my job but I remember you know two years ago when I was in uni working myself up to calling someone being so nervous on the phone and then having to sort of sit down and relax myself after the call because it panicked me so much to do it. But I think that getting that practice when you're in university is so important. And I think you can feel often that you aren't enough of an expert on something or that you're too junior or too young to be speaking to someone. I I don't think I've genuinely ever had someone pick up the phone and say, you know, F off, don't talk to me. And if you're interested enough in what they have to say and what they do, then it happens pretty naturally. I didn't ever realise that you found it hard to pick up the phone because you were so good at talking to people. Yeah, well, it's different, I think, in person with people that you might know to people that you don't know or that people who are really senior or might not be particularly happy to learn about what you're asking them about. But by picking up the phone, you show people that you're genuinely interested in a story, that you're a genuine person you're not just a face behind an email. And things just happen a lot quicker. I think it might have been Margaret Simons who gave me this advice, but she said, make it more difficult for someone not to answer your email or calls than it would be just to reply to you. Because then, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to ignore an email than it is a phone call. Yeah, I couldn't stress enough getting that practice in when you are a journalism student. Sending an email, but following it up with a call or a text if you do have someone's number and just saying, look, I've sent an email, my deadline is this time and would really love to get your thoughts on this. And I mean, some of the stories that you did, particularly uh, when you were working in regional areas, you were taking a big issue and looking at its 
local impact. Was that a kind of pattern that worked quite well for you in, in reporting? Yeah, I think so. Because if we go back to the first point of what is news, you need to be finding stories or finding angles on stories that other people haven't explored or prosecuted yet. When you're starting out in journalism as a student, your contact book is going to be very limited. You're not going to be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, Daniel Andrews, what do you think of this? Or, (laughs) hey, you know, Kevin Rudd, what do you think of this? You know, it's you've got to sort of be a bit creative with, okay, these are the people that I know. Trying to think of an example. So maybe you could talk about the pokey story that you wrote. So in New South Wales, we had an election. One of the big uh, election items was uh, gambling reform. And it was one of the main differentiations between the two parties. We all sort of know in New South Wales that people in New South Wales spend more money on gambling than anywhere else in Australia and probably anywhere else in the world. And I knew from my family growing up around Echuca and Moama, which is on the border of New South Wales and Victoria, that there are a whole lot of pubs on the Victoria side that didn't really have a lot of pokies. And then on the New South Wales side, there were four or five businesses that were among the richest in the region. And that was all because of the pokies and the legal and regulatory frameworks in each of the states that allowed that to happen over sort of 50 years. I'm driving across the Echuca Moama Bridge into New South Wales. At first glance, it's a one-strip town with a bakery, a pub, an op shop and a petrol station. But what really catches my eye is the Moama Bowling Club, one of the first buildings you see as you drive into town. There's massive sail-like structures shading the bowling green, a restaurant, and tourist coaches and shuttle buses lined up out the front. I used to come here on summer holidays as a kid, and I was always blown away by how big this place was. And one question has always stuck with me. How did this humble bowling club get so rich? So you've got this story of two sides of the river kind of thing, different laws in one state and different laws in another state, and it's really obvious in those things. And then from there you find, say, the local MP who was very vocal, Helen Dalton. And you see these people, they're going into the clubs, they're on their own. I think they're a lot of the problem gamblers are, are quite lonely. You find the people who've been affected by gambling through, and, um, say, gambling awareness organisations or support groups. Sometimes it was 1,000, sometimes it was 500, sometimes it was 2,000. You know, it just depended on how desperate I was to go. You find people on the other side who have worked in the gaming industry and know what it's like. So I think you sort of ask at every different stage of finding a news story. First off, you say, is this new? Is this something that, you know, Louisa doesn't know about yet that would be interested to find out about? And what does this, I guess, tell us about a story that has been in the news for a while that we didn't know about before? So in this case, it was showing really explicitly the difference between New South Wales and Victoria using the example of two towns. I was going to ask you about another story that came up on my Twitter feed that I just thought was an astounding story. I mean, I'm not really interested in sports, but it was the story about a rugby player who got a life ban for making contact with an umpire. How did you stumble over that story? Well, I'm I'm with you on that one, Louisa. I had no interest uh, in rugby league at all. I I come from Tasmania. We're an AFL state. I didn't really know much about the sport. 
but I think this one came to me through a friend who had studied law. He saw a post on social media that was from a lawyer who was basically expressing frustration about a case that they were working on where an Indigenous player had received a life ban for what they argued was a pretty small incident. I managed to get the footage off the TVs and and that had been recorded of the game. And you can see from it that there's not a heap in the interaction. I know that there's not audio from it, but they had a pretty good case for it. I first knew about the story, say, in July, August, and it wasn't published until late in the year, I think December. So that whole time was striking up a relationship with the lawyers, saying, I'm really interested in this story. Our readers would be interested in this story. The Herald has a big uh, rugby league readership. It's a New South Wales story, and it's something that I think with the footage that people would be really interested in and would make the organisation that banned him, New South Wales Rugby League, pay attention to it, basically. It got a lot of positive feedback in terms of, you know, people reacted quite strongly to it and that then circulated through other media outlets and things. So that's a sort of example. And I know that those two examples are stories that I've done as a professional journalist, so working at the Herald. And I know that, you know, having that official email gives you a certain amount of access that you don't get as a student journalist. But they, they're both examples of sort of connections that I've had with people or places that have helped me get a story or get a new angle on a story. I mean, I wanted to ask you, because you've just done a cadetship where you really had to cycle from desk to desk covering all kinds of areas like sport, which perhaps you're not that interested in. I mean, how did you deal with the issue of sort of having to write news stories in all these different fields? I mean, it's challenging, but it's also, I look back on my cadetship in 2022 as, yeah, an incredible experience and one that I will sort of remember fondly for the rest of my life. And I think you can actually use being new to your advantage. Say, for example, I was, uh, I spent 10 weeks on business and I had to do the markets wrap every day. So this is, uh, it's not really a new story. It's just you're reporting on what has happened on the share market that day. And part of that is ringing up um, fund managers and analysts and all those people to get their thoughts on what had happened that day, why stocks had gone up and stocks had gone down. And I think that's a really good way of building relationships because you say, hey, I'm Angus, I'm new to this round, I've never done this before, can you speak me through what is happening today? We're we're a general publication, we're not writing for uh, people who are following the stock market closely necessarily. So actually getting someone to explain things to you in a way that would make sense to anyone is actually a really handy skill. And I would say milk that for as long as you can. I'm now sort of more than six months into the health round. I've called up lots of academics and lots of people who work in hospitals and stuff. And when you're speaking to them, they assume that you're relatively across things. So they might not explain things as thoroughly or as directly as as they could. So It's always good to, I would say, use your position as a student. You know, say, for example, you're doing a story on council rates or something. You might say to someone, look, I have no idea how this works. Can you please explain it to me? 
and how it affects your business or how it affects such and such. So what are two top tips that you have for student journalists to help with finding a news story? Well, the first thing is that you have to you, you have to learn by doing and you will only get better with practice. So I joined Farago, which was the uh, student newspaper at the University of Melbourne in 2018, and that was before I'd even started studying journalism. And that was great for understanding how to put together a news story, where to find news stories that were relevant to your audience, which is the students of Unimelb, and also learning all those things, making some mistakes while you know not as many people are listening or reading. I think you can't underestimate just how valuable that is. And I realised that having that time to volunteer is a privilege. I think not everyone gets it. A lot of people work, they balance studies with work and they don't have the time or resources to be able to volunteer their time because you are doing this work for free. But if you are, you know, really serious about pursuing journalism as a a career, you need to constantly have stories on the boil or be thinking about things, seeing things and thinking about them in a way of, okay, how do I learn more about this? You know, what's new to learn here, I guess. So that would be one piece of advice that I would have. The second one is relevant to both the example of the two stories that we talked about before. It's to go local and and draw on your network. So you're the expert when it comes to your own community. So that might be a sporting club. It might be a faith group that you're part of, you know, the, the mainstream of media or that a lot of other people wouldn't have access to necessarily. I'd say really mine that for material that might be of interest to not just your community specifically. You want to make sure that people in a general audience would care about these stories. If you can search for those things and there's something that catches your eye that might be a good story, I think it's just as much about practicing being curious about things and then satisfying that curiosity to the point where maybe it is a story, maybe it isn't a story, but you know that you investigated it to the best of your ability. A lot of those things uh, that are stories or that aren't quite stories yet, it's always good to keep a little bit of a note about maybe who you spoke to or any documents that you had because you never know when that'll come up again. I think one story that I did that I really enjoyed doing while I was a student was the one on eels. So it was, uh, I went out tracking eels with some scientists from the Arthur Ryler Institute And that only came about because I had done in my first semester at Unimelb journalism, I had heard this story about eels traveling underneath the university. (laughs) Underneath? Wait, where though? So the story goes that the University of Melbourne is built on what used to be a tributary of the Yarra River, the Birrarung. Well, it's built on actually a marsh. So it's built on a lake, what used to be a lake. And basically lots of eels used to be there. The First Nations people that lived there often caught them. And then obviously as the university was built, more and more storm drain pipes were put in, less of the natural environment was there. but eels still sort of migrated through there. 
that was the story anyway. And there were stories of, I think, eels migrating across the Chancellor's tennis court. <laughs> it was... Um, <laughs> There was apparently cleaners who'd seen them pop up out of toilets or storm drain pipes and stuff. And I couldn't back Oh, you're going to give me a new fear that I've never had before. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry everyone that's listening and, <laughs> and on Unimelb campus, but I couldn't really substantiate the claims or I, I couldn't find anyone that had actually seen eels. So, like, hypothetically, yes, they could still migrate through, but I, had, I couldn't find anyone to do it. But in the process, I learned a lot about how eels migrate and had spoken to this scientist from the Arthur Ryla. And I'd said, if you are doing eel tagging, because he was doing this research where he put tags on eels and tracked them as they migrated up the east coast of Australia because they spawn, they breed in the Coral Sea, which is 3,000 kilometres away. So I made that connection and then in March the next year, Wayne sent me a text and said, we're going eel tracking, do you want to come along? And yeah, I got a story out of it. So it's important to keep those relationships, to treat people really decently and give them your time and show them that you're really interested in what they do and also to make sure that you keep a record of phone numbers, of conversations that you've had, of names, because you never know when they come in handy. And I think that's something that I really learned. I'm shocking at keeping records. I scribble random things in a hundred different notebooks. And I think in uni, I was sort of got slightly better at keeping digital records and, you know, doing that through out of necessity pretty much because it's so important to what we do as journalists. Information is sort of our bread and butter, so... <laughs> Do you have a task for students? So my task for students is to think about a community that you're part of. So it might be a sporting group, a faith or cultural community. It might be a local government area, so a council. And identify an issue that affects people in that group. So you could go into, say, a Facebook group, a Reddit forum, or council minutes, for example. Find an issue or something that's happening in that group, bring it to class, and pitch it as a story. And then see if there's interest from your classmates, if there's interest from your lecturers. You usually know that you're onto something. So yeah, that's my task. was Angus Thompson, a reporter for the Sydney Morning Herald. The Masterclass is produced by Dylan Bird and myself. It's edited by Dylan Bird. Sound design and post-production by John Chia. The original concept is by Anders Furs. The theme tune is by Susie Wilkins. It was partially funded by the GEM Scott Trust and it's brought to you from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne.